Across South Africa, online and on radio. SAFM, let's talk. 20 minutes past three, the G20 Foreign Minister's meeting kicked off in New Delhi yesterday. We understand the meeting will, amongst other things, tackle the major issues such as food and the energy prices, increasing debt and soft economic recovery post-lockdown. On the other hand... The ongoing Russia war in the Ukraine will definitely take centre stage. The reason why this important meeting is taking place in India is because the country assumed the presidency of the G20 on the 1st of December last year. Let's talk to a distinguished professor from the University of Johannesburg, Patrick Bond. Patrick, good afternoon. First of all, are you safe with all the student issues that are happening in WITS? Uh, yes, and also UJ. And they have some uh, genuine grievances, uh, especially at UJ, with the water shortages. But mm. that's fine. I think it's gone well. I'm just saying fine, and it's great to be with you and the listeners. Sir. Okay. Uh, remind us, what is the G20 foreign ministers? This isn't the, the big meeting, is it? That's correct. The big meeting will be uh, the heads of state in uh, Delhi, the capital of India, on September 9. And that comes shortly after President Ramaphosa hosts the BRICS Plus, which is the sort of uh, main middle-income countries from this G20. And the G20 is in Delhi uh, for foreign ministers. Uh, last month, it was finance ministers mm-hmm. meeting in Bangalore. And in both cases, uh, a disaster. And this is for uh, Narendra Modi, the host. It doesn't bode well for that big September meeting. And it is entirely due to Russia invading Ukraine and then the extraordinary backlash, the fight back from Ukraine, but especially the degree to which the U.S. and and, uh, Western European powers have been clamped down, for example, with asset seizures and throwing uh, uh, Russia out of the world financial system, the SWIFT payment system, and uh, all of the the tensions associated with this now make the main north-south uh, kind of body, or let's say rich and middle-income mm. body, the G20, now uh, in disrepair. All right, let's talk about the, 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 the first things, food, energy crisis that's happening over in Europe, post-recovery lockdown. Um, Mr. Moody of India didn't hold back. Um, he says at risk today of moving back in the sustainable development goals. Developing countries are struggling with unsustainable debts while trying to ensure food and energy security. Will the G20 take that on board? I um, hope so. We always can remain optimistic that some of uh, the leaders of the multilateral process can solve these global problems with global solutions. They might have to come from the, the top 20 countries. Uh, it usually is the G7, and you'll recall that's uh, U.S., Canada, uh, some of the European powers in Japan. They couldn't manage, starting in 1999, with uh, some of the beginnings of this sort of financial turmoil. So they added these 13 others. So this G20, especially where South Africa is representing Africa, has to really uh, try to make up where the multilateral system isn't effective. And that's pretty much everywhere, from Mm. climate crisis, as you say, to the energy and uh, food crises. And the only hope really is that with um, Europe quickly moving, uh, more quickly than I thought possible, away from its addiction uh, on the Russian gas and oil mm. and coal inflows, it is moving to renewables. It's also taking some of the coal uh, from South Africa, that's a huge increase to Europe, as well as the uh, Senegal gas, Nigerian oil. But the point of this is that these are big uh, tectonic shifts in the way uh, these markets are operating. And of course, we had a terrible spike in, in food prices, partly with the fertilizer boycotts of, of Russian exports. So that was another major factor. Those made both be easing because they really peaked out. And then the high interest rates from the U.S. and, and Western Europe have also lowered demand and lowered inflation.
As a member of BRICS that South Africa is, how important is it that India is hosting and the president of this G20 meeting? Well, it's terribly important, and I think that's why we're seeing so many visits from foreign ministers, from the U.S. foreign minister, right. uh, Anthony Blinken last year, from uh, Russian foreign minister, Sergei Lavrov, uh, this year also followed quickly by uh, the European foreign minister, Joseph Burrell. And that's partly because South Africa hosts BRICS Plus and then hosts the G20 in 2025. In between is Brazil with a very forceful uh, newly elected president, Lula. So the center of gravity in trying to manage global problems from the standpoint of the BRICS, India this year, uh, Brazil next, South Africa in the next, and then comes the critical question, will South Africa encourage new members such as Saudi Arabia, Iran, Turkey, uh, UAE, uh, Kazakhstan, uh, Thailand, um, Argentina, Nicaragua, and then from Africa, Senegal, and Nigeria, and Egypt, and Algeria. Uh, I may have left out one or two, Afghanistan is one. And that could be those 14 new countries, a huge new force in global politics. So far, the BRICS have mm. been mostly talk, little action. And that may change in Durban, 22 to 24 August. Okay, let's talk about the elephant in the room, the, the Russia-Ukraine war. India aren't criticizing it. India saying they need to become, to develop their billion population. They need the Russian oil. They need the Russian gas. It will, how will that be taken by the rest of the, the world? Well, in fact, Modi is playing quite a complicated game because there was a Shanghai Cooperation Organization conference, and that's within Asia, the most powerful of these regional groupings, in which both Narendra Modi and Xi Jinping from China were openly critical of the war, and uh, Vladimir Putin had to actually make a sort of apology for it. But in the meantime, and it's, it's, it's always hard to know because the propaganda is so curious on both sides, uh, whether the Russians who lost some ground in September uh, now have the ability with 300,000 new troops that they've drafted to fight uh, for more of that uh, eastern side, the Donbass, that they want, um, or whether the new weapons that are coming, especially tanks from Germany and from Poland, maybe later from the U.S., will actually shift the balance. And that, let's say, state of play is very fluid. It's very unclear who's going to win and what they'll have to settle for and whether uh, by taking uh, perhaps some of the, the ground in, in Donbass and, and keeping Crimea, Putin will uh, find out satisfactory and whether Ukraine will accept that. They obviously don't want to. They want uh, Crimea back. And then they may become a new member as a sort of consolation for just 80% of the present Ukraine. And I think in the period between now and some sort of deal, maybe a few months, maybe maybe years, but in that period, we're going to continue to see what happened today, which was Narendra Modi trying to talk in a bigger, broader way about these global problems and try to solve the, the, the dilemma of the Russian invasion on the one hand, but then Anthony Blinken and Sergei Lakhov really going after each other in mm. these meetings and making it impossible, just like in the finance ministry meeting of the G20 last month in, in Bangalore, to actually get any kind of consensus statement. That was going to be my last question. Is with the war, is it going to be a sort of us and them? You're on you're on their side, so we can't really talk with you, and we're on our side, and we don't want to talk to you. I mean, I think we're all worried about that, aren't we? Because of the military exercises that have just concluded on Monday. That was uh, with China and Russia offshore Durban, uh, up to Richards Bay, and enormous uh, dissent in society. Where, mm. uh, if you believe some of the opinion polls, 
many of us in, in the country don't want to see this kind of cooperation because it seems to legitimize this invasion. On the other hand, there's very powerful groups within the ANC, the Communist Party, trade unions, even the metal workers union, pretty openly pro-Putin, and they feel maybe any anti-imperialism will help. And that, in turn, has created a backlash where the U.S. is doing, as you said, saying you're either with us or against us, mm. and there are going to be sanctions that take away your Africa Growth and Opportunity Act export incentives. Let's watch that space. I think the desperate need of the West to get legitimacy in Africa, even with the slightly uh, soiled President Ramaphosa with the corruption still outstanding, that question of whether the U.S. really does things behind the scenes that, that, that punishes South Africa for its friendship with Russia, its, its legitimation of uh, the Russian army, for example, this last week. Uh, the Russian maybe that that remains to be seen, but I would uh, I would be worried because the U.S. sometimes when they go against you, they play pretty dirty. Uh, and just quickly, the U.S.-China relations, how will that affect the G20 meetings? Well, as um, probably the underlying uh, uh, problem, uh, not only with uh, Russia uh, kind of invading Ukraine and mm. NATO moving east. Uh, and the uh, Middle East is the site of struggle. It's definitely, uh, as you put it, the, the China-U.S. tensions, and it's over the South China Sea, where China has been creating islands, and it's over whether Taiwan might be invaded in the way Ukraine was, and whether enormous damage would result from that, because China believes there's just one China, Taiwan's a, a renegade province. Yeah. And the U.S. is sort of agreeing that there's one China, but saying, don't disturb the status quo. Those two uh, conflict sites, plus uh, whether China uses its uh, high-tech advantages to spy with, uh, with its uh, 5G, whether there's uh, all manner of, let's say, uh, TikTok or uh, WeChat or other penetrations of, of, of the West, those are the points that the U.S. makes. And, of course, China says you and the U.S. have been absolutely uh, brutal as uh, traditional imperialist powers, but also your um, control of these markets and the World Trade Organization as, as the big multilateral institutions works against Chinese and, and indeed global interests. I think they both have a point, don't they? Patrick Bond, thank you very much. Distinguished professor from the University of Joburg brings us to exactly half past three.